And now we're here to bring you this good news. That's our theme verse from Acts chapter 13 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar begins the series called Church Extended. This week's episode, Good News. This week, practice telling the story of your experience with Jesus by writing a brief response to these questions you'll find in this week's discussion guide at brookwoodchurch.org. Who was God to you early in your life? When did God become more real to you? when you experience Him in a life-changing way? And how has God been working in your life recently? If you want to watch the video of this week's message and listen to worship or search for our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Church Extended Series. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. And now, here's our senior pastor, Perry Duggar. Do you know that whatever we believe shows in our lives? We just sang that chorus, I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. But what we truly believe shows. So do we live as though we know Jesus is the only way to the Father? Do we live according to his truth, which is the only truth? And does our life show that we believe those things because we always live according to our beliefs. We begin not a new series, but the continuation of a series I began in the fall, the survey of Acts. And this part of the series is called the church extended. Today's message, which is from the first part of chapter 13, and I urge you for today, read chapters 13 and 14, but I knew that some of you who have just returned would never come back if I preached two chapters this morning. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be brief. I won't say brief, I'll be briefer. But read along, and then next week, chapter 15, we're gonna just survey straight through. The theme verse is from chapter 13, which is where I will park, but it's from the latter part at verse 32. And it says, and now we are here to bring you this good news. Paul and Silas are the we. Now the Greek word that's translated good news is you and galizo. You don't have to know that, but you could see where, what, where we get our English word evangelize. But the word in Greek literally means announce good news or preach the gospel, which gospel means good news, or even declare good tidings, which the angels sang at the birth of Jesus. And so that's the source of the word evangelize. Now, when I say the word evangelize, not many of you get excited, do you? <laughs> and there's several reasons. Give me some, not about yourself, but about someone you know. Why do we resist? Why do we hesitate to be evangelistic? Why? We fear re- rejection. Is that what they fear? Rejection? Anything else? Say that again. Nervous about doing it because you may not know what to say. I think those are probably the two primary reasons because we question our ability to articulate the faith 
or else we want people to like us. We, we don't want to be rejected. But, there's a big but in this. If we truly understand, if we have experienced how great the news about forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ is, if we grasp the horror of being separated from God forever with no reprieve, we will attempt to help others know this great news. Do we understand this great news? You know, if you'll indulge me, um, my grandson, his lungs cleared, so he is no longer on a breathing tube and he is nursing, but his kidneys have not um, yielded better numbers. So looks like dialysis begins tomorrow. But as, as I have had this, this burden on me for my two and a half month old grandson, um, I have prayed endlessly, prayed almost throughout the day, pray at bedtime, pray awaking and in the morning, every time throughout the night. And we, we wait eagerly in the morning for some good news in the form of some numbers. And we're just, we're, we're, we're a bit anxious even every morning to see what do we have? Do we have better news? Do we have better news? And I told Leanne, if, 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 we, if God gives us a healed kidney, I don't, I don't know how I will receive that. I may be so happy I'll have to jump off a bridge or something. I don't know. <laughs> but then it struck me. I know how good even a little bit of improvement feels. What good news it is. Why don't we see the gospel as that kind of good news? as that kind of great news. Because you all know I would do anything. I would certainly give up a kidney, but at this stage I'd give up both kidneys for my grandson to give a life to him. And many of you would too. So why would we hesitate to give eternity to someone? Why would we hesitate? I want y'all to Stir this around, okay? Because, because I don't think I have to argue that our culture is in rapid moral decline. Do, we, do I need to make that argument? And there's only one solution and it's not in either political party. So I guess I offended all of you then. It's not in either political party. I mean, I've lived long enough. We've seen both parties in power and neither have stemmed the moral decline, have they? We have greater division, greater hostility in our culture than ever before. We ought to be more enlightened today. The only solution for our culture is revival. The only solution for our culture's problems is revival. 
because true revival, I'm not talking about an excited meeting. True revival reforms the values of the people because true revival yields new birth. Now, we could get somebody in here that was a real eloquent speaker and we could have a good meeting, you know. And it could go on a while. But let me tell you this, the evidence, and, and people asked me, Brownsville was a few years ago. Y'all remember that in Florida? And, people, and I remember saying, well, is revival breaking out? And I said, well, you can't tell now. There's certainly some good meetings, but we'll know that revival has occurred in Brownsville, Florida, six months after the meetings stop because the community will be changed. You can't be born again and receive the spirit of God within you without being changed. Well, what's our role? What's our role? Well, our role is prayer. So I'd have to ask, how much are you praying? And let me say this. I thank you. So many of you are helping us carry the burden of Graham. And I bless you for that. And we're, we're knocking on God's door and you're knocking too and I appreciate that but let's lift up this community of ours this country of ours with the same passion because so many of you have demonstrated passion for my grandchild and for our family and boy I'm indebted to you but let me ask you to add this community add our country and spread the good news there's essentials of evangelism from this passage. Now, chapter 13, let me say this, marks a turning point in Acts. The first 12 chapters focused on the ministry of Peter. The, the latter part of this verse, a little bit more than half, focuses on the ministry of Paul, not Peter. Peter has um, moved out of the treatment of Acts. He's still ministry, obviously. The first 12 chapters focused on which church? Where was it? It was Jerusalem. Now it's moving to the church in Antioch. And Antioch becomes the center for Gentile missions. Antioch is, today would be um, Antakya, Turkey is where it was located. Antioch was where Christ's followers were first called Christians. And the name was given to ridicule at first, but it became a badge of honor. So the first essential of evangelism is to respond to God. Chapter 13, verse one. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria, let's stop there. Okay, prophets were proclaimers. They were preachers. And so they declared God's word from the scripture and also from direct messages from God that they communicated to the people. Teachers were different. Teachers gave instruction to clarify the understanding of biblical truth and doctrine. Pastors are, are, are just impacting the heart and the head both and teachers are coming back and helping you flesh out what this means. And so they had both. 
the prophets and the teachers were Barnabas. Now, the name Barnabas is only a nickname. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas' real name, you remember this? I told you a while back. You know what his real name was? Joseph. Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname. And he was a Levite from Cyprus. Then Simeon. And look at this is very interesting. Simeon called the black man because he was a black man from Africa. Lucius from Cyrene, and that was North Africa. Manaean, who was a childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, may have been an adopted foster child, but, but grew up in the household of Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus at his birth. And Saul. Now, in the scripture, the way they list names is revealing. Now, in what order is Saul's name listed? Last. He was not the primary leader at this point. In fact, they weren't all sure he was on their side. So he, his name comes at the final. He's beginning to be accepted. He's become a leader, but he's not the primary leader at this point. But look at this list. I want us to understand this. This center of evangelism was led by men from different countries and different races and different religious backgrounds. Let me tell you this. Diversity makes a church strong. But diversity always has to be handled with what? With humility. Because see, it has to be that it's not about, this is my church and I'm going to get my way. But see, you can't say, this is my church and I'm going to get my way. We have to say together, let's see what God wants this church to be. So that it serves all. And it brings in different types. So guess what? Nobody gets pleased completely. The commonality of these men was their commitment to seek God for his direction. They weren't just a bunch of smart guys who were formulating plans and strategies to evangelize all the Gentiles. Boy, it's interesting how we, we can fall into that trap, can't we? We could say, okay, well, we're choosing our deacons, we're choosing our elders, so, well, this guy's a CEO and this guy's an entrepreneur and this woman, she's just rich, so she got it somehow. So we, we're just gonna formulate all the big thinkers. Mm -mm, that's not God's way ever. That's not God's way ever. If any of these people were affluent, that was incidental to who they were in Christ. Verse two. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is their routine, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate is what this translation says, dedicate Barnabas and Saul 
Other translations say, um, what do you have if you're reading a different one? A point is a, is a good one. Uh, set apart. Separate. Those are all uh, synonymous translations. Barnabas and Saul, again, still Barnabas is listed first, for the special work which I have called them to. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. A better translation is let them go, release them. See, they, they, they confirmed God's call, but God's call was previous. They identified these people, these men to act on God's behalf, but they didn't originate the idea, you see? They recognized God's work in people. Isn't it interesting how we can say, oh, I'm gonna figure out who's got the most, who has the gifts. Often someone with a lot of human gifts just gets the credit instead of the grace of God. God had already called Paul to take his message to the Gentiles, Acts chapter nine. So here, they're, they're, not, they're not calling Paul, they're recognizing God's called him. Now they may have had some questions about him, so they sent one of these other people they really respected because Barnabas is listed first. So they said, and, and God said, by the Spirit said, send Barnabas with him. So they recognized and commissioned Barnabas to be the partner of Paul. These church leaders were led by the Spirit to set apart Barnabas and Saul for this assignment. It wasn't a rational decision. It was a spiritual response to God. You know, when we look for leaders of this church, we don't look for the most financially prosperous. We, we pray and we really seek people who pray. People who, who are in, in the practice of listening to God. And when we ordain pastors or missionaries in this church, again, we're not choosing the most qualified people by our criteria. What we're looking for, we're, we're recognizing and confirming God's present call on their lives. And it should be one that's already being demonstrated. You see, someone shouldn't wait on being ordained to begin ministry. Rather, you ordain someone who's already in ministry. You just look for it. Is that right, Randy? Is that what we do? We try to, we try to observe and pray. And that's what these men were doing. But see, I think the key here is, well, who in here wants to be used by God? Well, here's my point. Do you really want to be set apart? Because that means you're not fitting in. That means when they think you're odd for God, it's because you're odd for God. I mean, are you ready to be, because you cannot be effective you cannot be an influencer if you have to fit in. If you have to be liked by everybody, invited to the parties. Because let me tell you, you're not being invited to the parties. 
Get used to it. I remember when I was in law school, we had a, a football team and we were good. We won the University of Georgia championship, flag football. We beat the tar out of the fraternities <laughs> because we were all bottled up as law students. <laughs> but I played with these guys three years. And so they're talking about something. And so I said, well, what are, what are y'all talking about? Well, we're, we're having a party. I said, well, I didn't, why, why wasn't I invited? I mean, I, tur- I was the only guy on the team that didn't get invited. And you know what this guy said? We didn't think you'd enjoy it. We didn't think you'd fit in. We love you on our team. And we, we like you, but we didn't think you'd fit in. Are y'all ready to quit fitting in? Because you won't be effective if you fit in too well. Those same, those same students elected me the chief justice of the honor court for the school because they had a hard time finding somebody they thought was honest. <laughs> we can influence, but we won't influence by popularity. You see? But when they're troubled, they're going to come looking for you. They're going to come looking. If we want God to work through us in a greater way, we have to spend more time in worship and in fasting and in praying. Just, there's, there's no two ways about it. These battles are won first on the knees or on the face. We have to hear what God wants to do. We have to pursue God's plans instead of developing our own program schemes and strategies to serve him. Listen, you can build a church, but we don't want a church that's not built by God. But humanly, you can build a church, good musicians, you know, clever speaking, you can build a church. But we want a church built by God. Scripture says, unless he builds a church, you labor in vain. So what is God's call on our church begins with what is God's call on your life. If you say, I don't have one, there shouldn't be any Christian who doesn't recognize a call from God on his or her life. Do you know God's call on your life? Are you responding to God? Let me tell you this. Just this many people can change this whole county. I mean, we will mow through Simpsonville, Hickory Tavern will be an afterthought. If this many people, if this many people say, I don't care about pleasing anybody but God. And I'm going to pray before I go. Another essential of evangelism is to rely on the spirit. Now, this is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. Most, how many missionary journeys did he have, you know? Most scholars say three, but some argue no, there was four because the time he was taken to Rome for trial was also a journey. So it's debatable, but either three or four. Um, And so we continue at verse four. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit, released by the church. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia. That was 16 miles away. That served as the port of Antioch. 
And then they sailed for the island of Cyprus, which was 60 miles off the Syrian coast. Now, there were several practical reasons to begin their outreach on Cyprus. You know what they were? It was close. Two days journey at most. Uh, it was Barnabas's home, according to Acts 4. So there was, it was familiar territory. And it had a large Jewish population. God is often practical. Sometimes we think, well, what God does is, is he ignores everything practical and he sends us somewhere that actually is gonna be damaging to our family. Let me say this, I never accepted that. When people say, God's called me to the mission field and there's a spouse that says, I'm afraid to go, I'm not ready to go, I can't go. And the one says, oh no, God's calling, I'm going. I, I just don't accept that. I accept that God may change the heart of the spouse first, but you have to wait. You know, when, when I came here, um, no, first when I went to Texas, Leanne did not want to go to Texas. It was too hot. <laughs> but it, was, it, it wasn't a place that immediately she fell in love with. And, and, and I, she said, I know, you, I know God's calling you here. I said, I'm not coming. She said, well, how can you say that if, you, if God's calling you? I said, I'm not coming until you say you want to come. Because I had a wife. And so I waited and she, and, and God spoke to her in a message that Fenton preached. And she said, okay, I'm ready to come. But I've heard too many people who say, God's called me to this and they damaged their homes. They, some have destroyed their marriages. God's practical. God knows you're, you're married or you have children. Or you, have, you see what I'm saying? He's, and he's a better father than any of us. So God's, God's practical. Now, God may do something that seems less practical. You better know clearly it's God speaking. Clearly. Verse 5. There in the town of Salamis, which was the chief port and the commercial center, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. He just did administrative task, I believe. Now, why would they start with Jews? Somebody give me an answer. Yeah, chosen people, but yeah, give me a little deeper than that. They knew God. They knew his scriptures. They respected his scriptures. They didn't know Christ. They weren't sure he was the Messiah, but look where they began. So Paul, it became Paul's routine actually to go into the synagogue first and reason with these Jews who already had an understanding of God and reason with them that Jesus was the Messiah from the same scriptures that they respected. Now, we have a country ready for the gospel. 
I don't notice, I don't think this country is 70% saved. Do y'all? But that's what the surveys say. 70% acknowledge or claim Christianity. 70% and it, you know, different surveys, maybe a point or two off, say that they believe the, the resurrection of Jesus actually. But you see how we can start with people that believe this book is given by God, that the son was Jesus, he was raised from the dead. But then you have to reason with them about, but what does Christianity look like? Not only factually, but also morally. But we have a good starting point with people. And so you say, okay, oh, you're a Christian. Well, let's talk about what does that mean to you? What does, what does that mean to you? You see, and then you've start, you can start a dialogue. Now, not only did the Holy Spirit select and send Barnabas and Saul, but the Spirit equipped the two of them to explain the good news from the Scripture. Perhaps more importantly, the Spirit enabled the hearers to understand spiritually what was being spoken by these two missionaries so they could believe and be born again. I mean, everybody in this room understands there's a difference between accepting the facts of Christianity and being born again by the Spirit And, and, and understanding these truths so that you can't deny them. They're too true. You see what I'm saying? There are things, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how you treat it. It doesn't matter what thread is on your head. You can't deny it. Linda, how many children do you have? Four. Can I talk you out of that you have four children? Because you've experienced it. You birthed those children. You fed them. You diapered them. You burped them. You, you know, disciplined a few of them. I can't talk you out of it because you've experienced four children. When we have experienced the spirit of God who convicts us of the reality of the son of God, nobody can talk you out of it. No college professor can threaten your faith so you walk away from it. No friend can talk you into into becoming atheistic When you've experienced Christ, it is so real, you can't deny it any more than you can deny yourself. And so I'm trying to give you some confidence. So when we witness, when we tell our faith story, the Spirit will guide us. We have that promise in what to say and even remind us of the biblical truths to speak. But but again, I think even more importantly, the spirit prepares the hearer and enables that person to understand spiritually what was said. Was anybody in here saved the first time they heard the gospel? But do you remember the time you heard it and you heard it like you never heard it before? Does anybody remember that? And it was like, instead of you grasping it, it grasped you. It grasped you. That's the Spirit of God working. A person's salvation is not dependent 
on you being able to convince that person by the strength of your argument. Some of us are hesitant because we, I don't know all the verses. I get confused. I can't, you know what? All God wants from you is your willingness. You just tell your story. You can't forget that. Here's what I was. Here's who I am today and here's who I'm becoming. You don't convince, you share good news. You see the difference? And then the spirit of God will use the words you speak, the description of how faith has changed your life to illuminate someone's understanding so they can believe. I've told you all this many times, you know, I talk to people, you know, wherever. There's no Bilo anymore, so that one's gone. I don't know if Food Line's gonna be open to my evangelism or not, but. <laughs> but I sort of hang around and it's, it's interesting. Um, when, you're, when your voice, when your accent is this awful, people can hear you from rows away. They don't even, I mean, I had a mask on, pastor. But it's this awful accent. You can, no, I can't hide. But that's why we can count on God convincing them. Because the best things I've ever said to you, I didn't say to you. That's the most frequent thing when people tell me, you know what, when you told me this, it changed my life. Rarely is it anything I ever said. I wish I could, was that smart. Because while I'm preaching, God's speaking to you about your particular situation. And you think it's me, but it isn't. It isn't. I prepare and I try to be faithful, but what, what is really important here is what the Spirit of God is doing in this room. And even for you at home, but that's why I think it's so important that we gather together. It's like my spirit joins with your spirit. And so we urge you, come on in when you feel like it. But this is why it's important to seek God's guidance about whom you should share your story with. I mean, if somebody has no interest, stop. Because when the spirit of God is working, that person will have a question. That person will ask for more. Don't, don't, load, don't choke them. Give a little tidbit and then be ready to walk away. And they say, wait, oh, wait a minute. What are you saying here? You say that you really are saved. What does that mean? Because you, you act differently than other people in this office. And the people that the Spirit is preparing will be interested. And it may not be the ones you expect. You see? Has God given you someone to speak to about your faith? How many of you know someone right now you're supposed to be speaking to? How many of you are willing to ask God for someone? Ask him, let him prepare. Guess what? The task really is easier. 
and they will be, they will be interested when the Spirit of God is working. You know, you can, you can start like this. You can start with a simple invitation to church. I mean, the reason we have a mass service and an unmasked service is because people are extreme on both ends. So let's accommodate both. How about that? Because I'm interested in bringing people back together. So it doesn't matter to me if you're masked or unmasked. Let's embrace both so we, we can accommodate what, whatever their conviction is about that. But ask people. You know, a lot of people, they, are, they do have cabin fever. They do feel cut off. Now's a good time to say, hey, how about you coming to church with me? But you have to be willing to let them sit with you. You might even be willing to take them to lunch. But, but you know what I'm saying? Don't say, hey, I, why don't you go to our church? What service do you go to? Well, that doesn't matter. No, you gotta, you gotta care about the people. You gotta care about the people. So let me urge you, take some steps. Now's the time when people are, have some confusion about what the future's gonna be. A third essential of evangelism is to reply to resistance. When God's people seek to advance his purposes, satanic opposition will be present. You know, I think all of us have gotten so accommodated to our culture that for a while we didn't much see Satan anywhere, did we? Particularly some of us that were older because folks didn't fool around, play around with Satan. They, they were intimidated of that. Verse six, afterward they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos where they met a Jewish sorcerer could be translated magician, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was Jewish. He had attached himself to the governor or proconsuls, a more literal translation, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. Listen, the kingdom of darkness is eager to influence people who are powerful. Eager to influence people who are popular eager to influence the influential the governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God he was just an intellectual man he liked new philosophy so he wanted to hear about this you know he'd already brought in this man who was Jewish he thought he didn't really understand he was a false teacher but he was Jewish and now these these fellas or teaching about Christianity, he's interested in investigating it. So he says, you guys come and teach me this. But Elimas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. You ever run into that? You're trying to influence someone and someone's on the other side influencing them away. Saul and Barnabas battled bar Jesus for the soul of Sergius Paulus. I mean, we are involved in a spiritual battle. Do you know that? Every day, is a spiritual battle. And we wage war against principalities and powers every 
day. And if we think we don't, we've just been deluded. They've hidden in plain sight. But interestingly, they're not as well hidden today, are they? They're more bold. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked at the sorcerer in the eye. And then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Now, I don't encourage you to take on people like Paul did. (laughs) Unless the Spirit of God tells you to. You hear me? Don't become arrogant. Don't become angry. But if the Spirit of God says rebuke them in this way, then you rebuke. But this man, Bar-Jesus, wasn't going to escape with just a verbal rebuke. Now, Paul recognized that he was a child of the devil. Do you think he really was a child of the devil? Yeah. Jesus said, you're children of the devil to the Pharisees. Because you know what? There's no middle ground. You either belong to Christ or you belong to the devil. Now, it may not look that, that intense to you, but Satan loves it by making it look all normal. But, th- but they're, they're not too, they're, you're, you're either on the way or not the way. And so Paul inflicted blindness as a judgment from God, or really God's spirit inflicted blindness. Acts 13, 11, watch now for the Lord has laid upon you his hand of punishment and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. But notice this, it looks like it's temporary blindness because because God's grace is offered to the very worst. See, and if we get in our mind, oh, this man's the enemy, and we treat that person like that, you, you misunderstand God. Because it's sometimes, often it's the worst one that's the first to come. So he was gonna be struck blind, but temporarily, it looks like. But here's our, here's our point, and the point for Paul from what Paul did. We have to push back against evil efforts to blind people spiritually, to entice them into sin, to prevent them from seeking Christ. You, you, we must speak. But we don't speak as aggressively as Paul unless the Spirit of God tells you rebuke in this way. But we must speak. There's a whole lot more of us than there are of them. But we've been silent. Our culture glamorizes immorality. I mean, look at, look at the, the shows, whether it be Super Bowl or, or Grammys, or I don't watch them, but I understand what went on there. Um, immorality, materialism, sexuality, all of these things cause people to fill their inner spiritual needs with a temporary worldly distraction. And they work for a while, but not for long. 
Our world's entertainment has become more extreme, flaunting publicly moral and sexual practices. You don't hardly see any show that there's not a, a homosexual couple in. And it's elevated as, oh, this is wonderful. This is freeing. It's, it's not wonderful or freeing according to God. It's behavior that God condemns. And we see our culture mock God and his church and, and, and celebrate Satan. I mean, haven't you been shocked? There, there's a TV show called Lucifer, right? Is that still on? And all the stuff about vampires and sexuality is always mixed in with that. Um, I remember when The Exorcist was first launched. I was a teenager. And it was shocking that someone would expose Satan like that in a movie. Today it's glamorized. I mean, this rapper merchandised Satan-inspired sneakers. And he sold 666 pairs in less than a minute. And somebody, you know, one of my young friends said, oh, he's just doing it for publicity. But, but see, that's not the point. The point is he's not worried about Satan. He sees it as a way to cash in. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. But what are we saying? We have to speak against such behaviors, but not aggressively, humbly, not angrily, and always from the Bible, not arrogantly. Our culture is in decline. But it's in decline because Christians have been intimidated into silence. Because the voices against us are, are aggressive and they're loud. You don't have to shout somebody down. If you'll stand and respond gently and humbly, truth always cuts through lies. The light always dispels darkness. But you have to open your mouth. We can't be silent. We have to trust God, speak his word, motivated not merely by hatred for sin. That's not enough. You see what I'm saying? Shouting somebody down who's, who's caught up in an immoral lifestyle. There's, there's no value in that. Because everybody's a slave of sin that's not a slave of righteousness. So do, are we motivated out of love for that person to give them good news. Condemning them is not good news. Giving them a way out, that's good news because the sin is destroying their lives. Do we care? Do we care? Are you willing? Are you willing to address issues that violate God's word. But we have to start with ourselves, don't we? We all have to get a good scrub in ourselves. And then we humbly speak to another person. Here's the result of Barnabas and Paul's actions in verse 12. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. For he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. 
He wasn't astonished that the man was struck blind. He was astonished at the teaching, which means the Spirit of God confirmed it to him. It didn't sound like all this other teaching he'd been listening to. And just as the display of God's power convinced this governor and his words were, were, were understood as true, your demonstration of God's strength through his truth in your life will convince people as well of the reality of your faith and the truth of God. Are you ready? Let me say this. Are you willing to become ready? Because the first step is you have to be willing to be set apart. And it might mean you change some relationships today. Will you ask God to help you be set apart? Will you ask God to help you reach people with your life and your words? Will you? Father, help us. There'll be counselors here. If you say, I'm so far away from God, they'll be here to pray with you. And they'll also be in the care connection room. They'll be with you to guide you in some of these things that I've suggested to you today. Either taking something out of your life that's in the way, helping you to have some some willingness to share good news, uh, to confront behaviors that God condemns. But we, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it in the strength of the Spirit. So, Father, please give us your guidance. Give us your spirit. Give us your strength, not to glory in ourselves, but that people would see and glory in you. God save many, I pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. And thanks for listening. Have a great week.